Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Tonight we will be in just, uh, again, just two verses, verses 6 and 7. Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. So let's pray. Father, show us how wonderful of a bounty we have in you, God. That all these troubles and cares, the things that plague us and concern us, that make us feel sick, make us not want to get out of bed sometimes, that tax our relationships, all these things, God, can be dealt with by you, Lord. You are a, a help for us. And we have access to you through your Son. Father, that you would embolden us to pray and to come to you and lay these things before you. And that our minds would be guarded by your peace on our way to your heavenly kingdom. We ask us in the name of your Son. Amen. So, this is one of those passages you could do like five or six sermons on. So I'm going to say a few things on it. Maybe come back to it next week. But let's get to what we can get to. Paul is continuing his exhortations for the Philippians uh, to live in such a way that it demonstrates that their citizenship is in heaven. And that's the same idea here. As I said last week, every nation tends to produce a certain character in its citizens. Sparta produced warriors. Athens produced philosophers. And spiritual Israel produces Christians, people that are Christ-like. We have few better descriptions of Christian character than the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Uh, There we are taught that Christians are God's blessed, or those that live in a state of joy because of their connection with God. Their joy comes from who they are due to the work of Christ in them. That's where that blessedness comes from. And, And that work produces a certain character. They're poor in spirit, poverty of spirit. They're mourners, in other words, mourners of sin. Gentle and they hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, and persecuted for righteousness' sake. That is the character of God's chosen. If you belong to spiritual Israel, that's your character as a citizen of heaven. And that's the life of those who rejoice in the Lord. All those uh, characteristics can be found in the letter to the Philippians, but especially those required for maintaining Unity of the body, as that has been Paul's main concern throughout this this, uh, letter, that they be united. Um, In chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we see an application of being peacemakers. Paul calls the Philippians to resolve the disharmonious relationship between two women in their church. Uh, These two women had once been united, right? They had served with Paul, and it seems to be implied that they had served with Paul together, um, But they had the same commitment to the same doctrine. uh, But now they were divided. And that division posed a risk to their church. And it always bears mentioning that often we think the only dangers to our church are are doctrinal. And then when it comes to doctrine, usually it has to be a big doctrine. But see here that the dangers to any church, they're they're small. right? A division just between two members uh, can be destructive in a body. So Paul 
gives attention to that, and the Spirit preserves it for thousands and thousands of years in His Word forever for us to know that. Nonetheless, he tells them to deal with it because it poses a risk to the church. The risk is that division leads to instability. That's what division produces. The old saying is, uh, united we stand, divided we fall. And, uh, and it's a very biblical concept. Matter of fact, Jesus says something very similar in the Gospel of Mark. He says, if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Right? If it's divided, it's not going to have stability. And what is true of a structure or a building is true of a church body. Division will cause things to fall apart. And Paul is calling them to take both corrective and preventative measures to keep that from happening. Both of those things are here. Both deal with the, the problem that exists, but also do these things, um, these positive things. Have this sort of attitude in you to keep that from cropping up. Which brings us to our passage today. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. This command is similar to the one we had in verse 4, uh, which we looked at uh, last week. Man, was it last week? Last week feels like a month ago for me. Uh, we're told to rejoice in the Lord always. And it's a command that deals with our internal state, our mindset. I think most of us can deal with commands that are more external. Commands like don't steal or don't neglect gathering yourself together. Uh, we can't deny that we have the power to obey those commands. And there's a sense which they are fairly simple commands to obey. However, we tend to bulk at commands that deal with our internal state, like don't covet, um, always rejoice, or be anxious for nothing. These sort of commands are despised even by Christians because we have it in our head that we have less or even no control over our internal state. I can't change the way I feel. I've heard people say that. And basically from 13 to my early 20s, I thought that. It's like teenage angst, right? Um, but we are like, still say that. I can't, I can't change how I feel. It's how I feel. But Scripture disagrees. We are held accountable not just for our attitudes, but for our actions. Or excuse me, not just for our actions, but our attitudes. The believer is a new creation in Christ, and God gives us a heavenly mind, which is to be cultivated. And that includes putting to death ungodly attitudes and putting on godly attitudes. Colossians 3. Right? When you look at the sins that Colossians 3 is telling us to put off, many of them are internal. And the things to put on, again, are internal. They're attitudes. And we're more and more are thinking of sin only as actions uh, so we can hang on to ungodly attitudes. But Scripture does not allow that. Um, there is a sense in which this command to be anxious for nothing is directly connected to the previous couple of verses um, that we've looked at uh, the last couple of weeks. After all, what causes division? And... What robs you of your joy more than anxiety, right? Anxiety taxes our relationships. Think of the things you've said or the decisions you've made when you were in an anxious state. Anxiety isn't the exact opposite of joy, but it's close, right? So this is related um, because it taxes our relationship and draws our eyes away from joy-giving realities. But there is the question then, what is anxiety? What do we even mean by the word anxiety? And it's the same Greek word translated as worry 
in the Sermon on the Mount. There Christ has got the beautiful um, passage where he says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body or what you wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? That whole passage there, the word worry is the same word. So in a generic sense, it means a state of worry or concern. Uh, But a closer look at the Greek draws out a fuller meaning because, you know, English is a bad language. (laughs) This isn't the greatest language to translate things in. Greek is a superior language in terms of its descriptiveness. And uh, the Greek word, let me see if I can get it right. Hala, I might make you say it out loud if I get it wrong. Mem, what? Memorable. Was it Memorinado or something? How do you say it? Well, I get a different version, but it must have the same root. It's Strong's 3309 for you that have your Strong's with you here in church. Um, what the word means, though, what it means is uh, to be drawn in opposite directions. What it means. It means to be divided into parts or figuratively to go to pieces because you're pulled apart in different directions. That's what it means. It describes an eternal division of mind. It's a state of mental unease that comes from a mind that's being divided against itself. It's a worry or concern that pulls you apart. It is a feeling of going to pieces. That's that's the idea contained in that word. It's more than just worry and concern. Obviously, that's the embryonic stage, but it grows into something much bigger. James chapter 1 gives us an apt description of a double-minded man. And there's many paths to being double-minded, but anxiety is one of them. Uh, he first tells us to count it joy when they fall into various trials. Right? So it's, it's very similar to what we have going on in Philippians' idea. And then he says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And that makes sense. right? When we're in trials... We need wisdom on how to deal with them. So James says we should pray. Again, similar to what we'll get to later today or tonight. But he continues, he says, But he must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For the man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And that's a pretty good description of being anxious. That you're driven and tossed by the wind, unstable in all your ways. Again, to be divided leads to instability, internal instability. Anxiousness leads to uh, kind of a chaotic state, a state of confusion. And that's why the the promise here that we get to in verse 7 is the peace of God, the opposite of chaos, the opposite of being unsound, but being peaceful. And that's why it's so wonderful. But I do want to dwell on the topic just a little bit longer. There are some that want to make anxiety merely spiritual, if you allow it, a mental issue. And this is a mistake. There can be no doubt that anxiety often has a physical component. And uh, the evidence of this is, is self-evident. For example, the lack of sleep or having too much caffeine can exaggerate an anxious state. Everyone knows that. You know. In college, I could think of... Um, where I had to go uh, talk to this, it's a long story, but I had to meet with this counselor. And uh, I was telling him how I was feeling. He's like, how much are you sleeping? I was like, 
four or five hours a night, you know, how much coffee do you drink? Uh, more than I drink water, <laughs> you know. And so he encouraged me to cut back on the caffeine and up my sleep. And just a little bit made a lot of difference, right? Um, so we all know that's, that's definitely true to some degree. Um, so sometimes it's cutting back on coffee, getting some more sleep will go a long way to resolving anxiety. But there's always a spiritual aspect to it um, as well. We're too uh, quick uh, to try to divide the spiritual from the physical. And that's really hard. We're a spirit-body composite. And how the two interact is difficult to parse. You know, where, where, did, uh, where does the physical end and the spiritual start or vice versa when it comes to worries? Um, I don't know. But there's no doubt that there is an interrelatedness. Listen to how David connects them in Psalm 31. He says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow, and my years with sighing. My strength has failed because of my iniquity, and my body has wasted away. Right, do you see how they're, they interact? They're interrelated. There's a Gnostic attitude today that seeks to deny the essentialness of the body, to downplay its goodness. And we all fall for this by denying the connection of the spiritual and the physical. Um, we can follow the command to not be anxious in part by addressing physical issues. That is one way to follow it. So don't feel guilty for doing that. However, uh, be sure to address the underlying spiritual or internal issue that's at play there. It's a both-and situation, usually not an either-or. So you can do both. Now again, though, there can be no denying that Paul here deals with anxiety primarily as an uh, internal issue. People are worried about how to deal with certain situations or meet certain needs. That's the context, what's happening inside them. And Paul gives them a solution. He tells them to pray. And this is not the equivalent of, of Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy. Right? It is not. Uh, that is a call just to not think about it. You know, I, I was looking at the lyrics. I was thinking maybe I'd sing it to you guys, but I decided not to. Um, it's not a hard one. There's not much up and down that thing. Um, but I was listening. It's just like, you don't have money to pay your rent. That's all right. Don't worry. Be happy. I'm like, well, I won't have anywhere to live. But So the whole idea is just to push the ideas out of your mind. Right? Your thoughts, your worries. Push them away. Don't think about it. Don't dwell on it. You know, that is not the Christian answer to anxiety. And it is certainly not helpful. Many men have found this in marriage, right? If your wife... Is, is worried about something, and don't tell them, oh, just don't worry about it. That doesn't make things better. It often makes it worse. Um, so that's not what Paul's saying here. He's not telling them not just to think about it. In many cases, in cases, the anxious person can't help but think about everything. Right? Listen to this quote from Spurgeon. And he's a man that dealt with all sorts of inner turmoil, so, and, but was faithful. So he's a good guy to read on this, and Martin Lloyd-Jones was, was a pretty good guy to read on this as well. He says, as we feel a thousand deaths in fearing one, so do we feel a thousand afflictions in the fear of sorrows which will never come. Probably the major part of our griefs are born, nourished, and perfected entirely in an anxious, imaginative brain. Many of our sorrows are not woven in the loom of providence, but are purely homespun. 
in the pattern of our own inventions. Some minds are especially fertile in self-torture. They have the creative faculty for all that is melancholy, desponding, and wretched. Amen? Right? Think about the things you worry about. How insane they are. I have crazy thoughts sometimes. I'm like a helicopter dad because of how crazy I can imagine my kids getting hurt. You know, I used to watch Rescue 911 in the 90s with William Shatner, and it went through all these emergencies, and they would, like, reenact them. This messed me up, man, because I think all those things could happen to my kids all the time. I just worry, worry, worry. Not only do we worry about real problems, right, the things that come to us via providence, but we imagine all sorts of problems. That's what he means by homespun. There's this hilarious Bob Newhart uh, sketch where he's a counselor, and he only does counseling for five minutes, and it only costs $5. And uh, this woman comes in, and uh, she's like, oh, it's only $5 for five minutes? Will that be long enough? It'll probably be long enough, you know. Um, And then uh, he says, all right, go. And he hits the the, the watch, and she, she goes on and talks about how she has a fear of being in a coffin, as I recall, right? And he's like, well, have you, have you ever been in a coffin? And she's like, well, no. She's like, it's just the thought of it. The thought of being in a coffin is paralyzing. And, uh, and then he says, uh, okay, well, here it is. And she gets out her notepad, and she's like, well, can I write this down? He's like, well, I, you know, if you think you need to, I don't think you'll, I think it'll be easy to remember. And she said, okay. And he said, Stop it, right? Stop thinking about being in a coffin. You know, he's just, that's the whole, that's the punchline of the whole thing. She goes through her fears and her bad relationships, and he tells her just to stop it. And um, that isn't what Paul is saying here. In a way, he is saying stop it, I guess. But there's a means to arriving at a peaceful mind. There's a real answer. It isn't just don't think about it. That's what a lot of us say. And in, in, in some cases, that's all medicine is. In some cases. You hear that? Underline it. Remember, some cases. That's what medicine is. It's just to dope yourself. To, your, to a state that you can't think about much. Okay? That's not helpful. He doesn't tell us just to stop it. He tells us to pray. Right? That's the answer. Prayer, instead of just thinking, brooding, stewing, pray about it. Actually pray, says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now, think of the, the contrast that he has there. Be anxious for nothing. So, is there anything in your life you can be anxious about? No. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, is there anything in your life that you can't pray about? No, right? This is, uh, this is our modus operandi. This is how we work. We're not anxious because we pray. The only way we can have joy in this life is to rejoice in the Lord. That's the key to joy. That's what we talked about last week. The only way we can have peace in this life is, is through the Lord to make our requests known to him. People don't like it when you tell them you're going to pray for them a lot of times. Or they don't care. 
And, and they shouldn't, because a lot of times what we're saying is like, I want you to know I care about you. I'm going to tell you I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm not going to. That's why a lot of times when I tell someone I'm going to pray for them, I like to pray with them right there. That way, when I forget about it um, and never pray for them, uh, I don't feel terrible. <laughs> Just pray for them right now. But also because, you know, um, we don't like it because we don't pray. We don't see the power of it. Uh, we don't think it really matters. We think prayers uh, like a last resort, uh, the last thing we come to. And the only person that thinks that is the person that doesn't pray uh, or has fallen away from praying. Calvin says, those indeed who look hither and thither to the vain comforts of the world may appear to be in some degree relieved, but there is only one sure refuge, leaning upon the Lord. There is a degree of peace that you can arrive at through worldly means. That's how the non-Christians make it through this life. how they deal with a lot of the real pain that's out there. But it's only a temporary piece, and it's often arrived at through self-medication, which can just be overeating, right? You get worried, and you're stressed out about something, uh, so you go eat like a loaf of bread or some Nutty Buddies or whatever is the thing you do. When I was a wrestler, I once, when I decided I could go up a weight class, ate like three things of Nutty Buddies in a week. Um... They're my go-to. That's why they're not in the home. Um, but that's what we can self-medicate through medicine, through alcohol, through entertainment. What we're trying to do is vegetate the brain. To get the brain not to keep running, to not think about that. Um, and then we also, we try to deal with it through self-reliance. Right? A pro and con list. Something's wrong. Then let's attack this. Right? Let's attack. Let's Pro and cons, what are the resources we have? You know, how can we pull this over here to solve that over there? And that's fine. You should do that, right? God, God works through that. Uh, but you should pray. Pray first. You, so you don't want to be someone that, uh, that lives in this um, denial of, of your need for the Lord. The lasting and sustaining peace that we get, it comes from leaning on the Lord in prayer. That's what he says here. He says, uh, listen to how he describes it. Uh, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. That's a mind-blowing peace. A peace that doesn't make sense to us in our, in our worldly natural frame. And the question is, do you believe that? Right? What is your attitude towards prayer? This, don't tell me. Do you pray every day? Do you have a dedicated, formal time of prayer? Just for the sake of discipline. You wake up and you pray through these things. If you're like me, and sometimes I'm not quite there for the first 20 minutes, that might not be the best time to pray. Maybe you need to do it at night. right? Maybe you have a break, your first break at work, so that you can pray. But do you pray? Um, when someone tells you their problems, you pray with them about it. Do you enjoy corporate prayer? Do you get together and pray as a body? One of the main benefits of corporate prayer is uh, when we get to pray for each other, but I also learn a lot. I learn how to address God, how to talk to God, how to pray. And also I think of all the, through hearing other people's prayers, I think of the things I'm not asking for, 
And I often uh, see the weakness of my spiritual state, the things I'm not thanking God for. Sometimes it's really encouraged. But just, just look, what, what is your prayer life? Do you have a prayer list that you work off? You know, how, how are you uh, praying without ceasing? That's a command of Scripture. There's not a one-size-fit-all sort of approach to it. The main thing is that you're praying. So after, before meal, before a meal is not enough, guys. That's <laughs> not enough. We have to be praying. And here's why. Your attitude towards prayer is your attitude towards God. You want to know someone's theology? You want to know if they really believe God is good? You want to know if they really believe that God is a father? Their prayer life will tell you that. Right? Because if God is a good father and he does care about us in the way he says he does, then we know we can make requests to him. Does he not make that point? He says, look, if your son asked for bread, you wouldn't give him a stone. Right? You guys being fallen, me being holy God, I'm going to do better than that. So our prayer, our prayer life is a reflection of how we think about God. So if you're struggling to pray, I recommend that you study God's, God's attributes. You study the passages on God being a father. He's good. He answers prayer in crazy ways. Sometimes he just changes your heart about things. And other times you receive like a check from some, uh, the one I always think about is where I was totally broke in college and I hadn't worked for Bob Evans for two years and I only worked there for 45 days because a cook at Bob Evans might be the most miserable thing I've done work-wise. It wasn't very fun. Waitresses can be difficult. And um, so I only worked there for a little time. I had no money. I remember praying like, Lord, I need gas. So I go down to like, you have all those mailboxes when you live in the dorms. And I get like this $20 check that they've been trying to figure out how to get it to me for like two years. It was just really strange. So sometimes like the Lord answers prayers and ways like that. And other times he just... You learn to rest and trust in his goodness. That's what we see in the Psalms a whole lot. The other thing he says that uh, we should offer up prayers and supplications. And then he says, uh, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And that's another thing, is to reflect on God's faithfulness to you, God's goodness to you, will go a long way in battling anxiety. Because you will see how God has met your needs. How God is a kind father that loves you. And, and you'll uh, cultivate a, a heart full of gratitude. And um, when, I am, when I'm getting in sort of a dark attitude, I just will start going through how God's been faithful. The thing that always helped me in that is how God identifies himself in Scripture of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what that always made me think is like, that God is my God. Right? That was supposed to encourage the Israelites. They would see how God had been faithful to their fathers. That same God will be faithful to them. So I think about how God has been faithful to Hudson Taylor or uh, Charles Spurgeon and John Calvin or, or, or all our godly forefathers in Scripture and how he's been faithful to me. And I praise him and thank him for it. And it's amazing how it delivers me from an attitude of self-reliance into just leaning on God. And the wonderful result of all this is the peace of God. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. That's the quality of peace. Right? The world has a peace that's temporary. Uh, but God's peace 
is, uh, is amazing. Here's how, what Calvin says. It is on good ground that he calls it the peace of God, inasmuch in as it does not depend on the present aspect of things and does not bend itself to the various shiftings of the world, but is founded on the firm and immutable word of God. Right? It's the peace of God because it does not change. God does not change. God is faithful. And that's the peace he gives us through prayer. It's a promise in Scripture. That should drive us to pray. Even this week, I was, you know, just like your guys' week, there was things that were stressing me out. It was very convicting as I thought about this passage. Like, there's an answer. I should pray about this. And then I would pray about it. But I would tell you, if I had not been studying this text that week, I wouldn't have prayed about all those things. I just wouldn't have. That's one of the benefits of preaching, isn't it? I get to, like, talk to you guys. Um, that's, that's great. But uh, I get held accountable all the more through God's word and uh, as I reflect on it. And so, and then the Lord gave me peace, not because all the things were solved, they weren't, but I knew God was faithful. He, he gives us these uh, promises, and it guards our minds and hearts in a way that people can't understand. Think of how God has taken care of his saints. Think of how God took care of Jesus in the garden, right? He's in the garden, ready to go to the cross. And he's heavy laden, so much so that blood comes from his pores, right? He starts sweating blood. And he's praying, God, let this cup pass from me. And he's trusting the Lord, and the Lord strengthens him to do the work, right? He didn't remove the work from him of the cross, but even Christ in, in that struggle there, uh, was strengthened by prayer to do what God had called him to do. And that's the promise we have, a peace that surpasses all understanding, the peace in which Jesus could go to the cross and suffer for all our sins. Intense. And we sometimes are just trying to get the guts up to, like, <laughs> I don't know, tell someone that they offended us, you know, um, to tell our wife what the checking account looks like right now. I don't need to talk to you about this, right? Um, whatever it is, I'm trying to think of the things you might be worried about. Um, God is good, and God will strengthen you. There's no way to escape anxiety, right, in this world. The experience it momentarily. That's going to come, just like joylessness is going to come. But God has given us a way to be joyful. He's given us a way to overcome anxiety, right? And that's through prayer. And that's through dwelling on him, dwelling on the the good things uh, that we find in God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. Oh, you're so faithful to us. You're a father. You bestow good good gifts on us as as we are your sons through Jesus. I pray that as uh, the different worries of this life, some, sometimes the ones that are just are almost sickening, God, that we would not stew on them, but that we would be quick to offer them up to you. Father, I pray that as we see other people under such stress, that instead of just telling them everything's going to be okay and giving them worldly advice, that we would pray with and for them, Lord, and that we would encourage them to trust you and we'd help them bear that burden. Of, of these weak frames. Father, we thank you for the, the promise of a peace that surpasses all understanding. And Lord, we ask for it, God. 
that we ask that uh, you would help us not to rely on ourselves, but to cast all our cares on you, for you care for us. And we pray this in the name of your Son. Amen.